This episode is brought to you by TradeZero and Lupton Capital. Joe Lupton is a paid marketing partner of TradeZero and may receive compensation for introducing customers to TradeZero. This video represents only the views and opinions of Joe Lupton. TradeZero does not endorse the content of this video. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Investing with the Whales podcast. My name is Jonah Lupton. A special guest today, we got Libor Mahalik, the president of a firm. Libor, how are you? Good, Jonah. How are you? I am doing great. Excellent. So, um, for anyone that's not familiar, Affirm is one of the largest buy now, pay later companies out there. They've done partnerships with some of the largest US e-commerce platforms like Amazon and Shopify. We're going to talk about that. We're going to go into their underwriting process, some of the advantages they have over their competitors, uh, maybe just buy now, pay later as a you know as an industry and kind of where it started and, and how Affirm came about. So let's start there. Um, first of all, how long have you been with the firm? And uh, I know Max is Max is the founder. He was one of the PayPal guys. So maybe you can talk to us about how how and why he started his company, and then and then when you joined. Um, I joined eight years ago, uh, shortly after it was started. I've known Max for quite a while before that. Uh, worked with him previously, and so when he told me what he was thinking um, about the idea uh, of creating a uh, a company that is focused on consumer finance, on offering credit to customers that is aligned with the interest of the customer, where when the customer does well, when they get the expected and the wanted, that the company does well, and that they, when we get it wrong um, and the customer uh, is not able to repay, we share in the negative outcomes. And so really aligning those interests of um, a financial institution and its customers was really compelling um, for me, um, I, obviously for him as well. Um, and, and that really sparked, I, I think, all of our interest in building a better, uh, you know, better mousetrap, a better credit product. So, talk to us. What exactly is buy now, pay later? It's a. It's at this point, uh, uh, become a pretty broad term. Um, it generally means making a purchase uh, on some form of credit where you're what you're purchasing, um, you pay a portion of it either immediately or over time. So really just spreading it out, uh, those purchase, those repayments over time. What are, the, what are the typical terms? I mean, how many, does this, does it depend on the size of the, you know, the, the purchase? It depends on, a, uh, to a large extent on the provider, um, the sort of the table stakes version of this that a lot of companies have is 0% over six weeks, um, effectively four payments. That's kind of the base case for smaller purchases. And then it goes from there, 0% interest bearing over you know, multiple payment cycles, anything from that six-week cycle all the way out to you know, larger purchases, you know, four years, you know, so 48 monthly payments, even further. Um, it really depends on the provider uh, as well as, you know, what obviously, what is the merchant selling um, and, and what does the consumer need as well as what can they afford? So over the last two or three months, I've been getting into DJing and music production. So I've had to buy all sorts of equipment and I've bought, you know, I've bought different stuff from probably four or five different websites. Every single one of them now has buy now, pay later as an option, you know, three or four years ago, that obviously wasn't the case. I mean, this has really, really caught on. And some of the stats, when I did my deep dive write up on a firm, you know, one of the stats that came from RBC that kind of stuck out and I'll just read it off. So I get the numbers right. Uh, a firm competes in the massive. E well, next, hold on. Um, there you go. Uh, RBC Capital Markets estimates these buy now, pay later 
uh, products increase retail conversion rates by 20 to 30% and lift the average ticket size by 30 to 50%. So, I mean, those are massive numbers when you're talking e-commerce. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are those are great numbers. Um, that's really obviously why the merchants are are picking these products, uh, embedding them in their checkout. The numbers are very specific to the provider because at the end of the day, those numbers come from um, how many people are you able to uh, approve for what amounts, um, and um, that is really dependent on the quality of the underwriting that the institution is doing. It also depends on the size of the purchase. So the longer terms, larger purchases, the wider range of terms and purchases that you're able to provide the merchant, the more customer demand you're able to capture. And also it depends on having a clear product for the consumer. The consumers you know, are uh, opting into these purchases because they have the clarity uh, and, and the peace of mind on this thing that I'm going to buy, this is how much it's actually going to cost me over the next, you know, however long it's going to take to pay for it. Knowing that upfront as a part of the purchase is really what creates the confidence that I can afford it or not, right? Um, sometimes, you know, the decision is I can't afford it. Um, and that's really, I think, where the importance of what we're providing, that level of clarity and confidence um, really resonates with consumers. So talk to us about underwriting. What is it based on? Is it FICO scores and income and, you know, other levels of debt, payment experience, all of that? Or does it go even deeper than that? It goes deeper. I mean, it is primarily rooted in the what the credit bureaus are able to provide on the customers. There's also alternative um, data sources about a customer's finances. It is all financial data. Um, but then once the customer is, in our case, an affirmed customer, our underwriting goes much deeper into um, their the, the customer's ability to repay, how timely they are in repayments, how their finances are changing over time. Um, all of those things get factored in um, into underwriting. And there's also the decisions we make as a result of our credit scoring. Um, it is not just a simple yes or no answer. Um, it is the amounts, the monthly obligations, um, whether to take a down payment as an early signal of intent to repay. Um, all of these things become uh, really important um, signals and counter signals of, do we think this person is good for it? Um, because if they are, if we don't think they're good for it, we're not going to lend it out to them because there's no way for us to get it back. There's no late fees. There's no fees beyond what is stated up front. And so if we can't um, make a good transaction, if we don't believe in the customer based on what we're telling them it's going to cost, then you know we're out the money. And so that's not good, good for us and it's not good for the customer. Do you guys have a cap on how much someone can use a firm for in terms of the size of a purchase? We do, um, both in terms of the aggregate number of uh, on, across purchases, as well as the largest um, single purchase. It's really dependent on the consumer. Um, and it actually, there's some dependence on the merchant and how they're, to, to the, the degree to which the merchant is actually willing to subsidize some of the risk. Gotcha. And I mean, how far could someone spread out payments? I mean, three months, six months, 12 months, or even longer think, on bigger ones? We definitely like out to like five, 60 months, 48 months. Oh, okay. um, so we go out pretty far. Yeah. Okay. Because the, you know, the, 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 the big DJ set that I want is, yeah. I mean, $12,000. Yeah. I mean, I started with the $2,000 one, but, you know, if I really get into this DJ thing, I'm talking a $12,000 purchase and I would rather finance that over a few years than pay it out of pocket all at yeah, once. <laughs> yeah. It really depends on the merchant and the pur purchase, as you're saying. 
Um, though we do have like, a, it is heavily weighted towards shorter terms, just the nature of the products and the amount of transactions that actually helps us with our, um, both our underwriting, but also the management of the aggregate capital program, um, uh, because the, the, um, the transactions turn over so fast. So the weighted average is more like four and a half months. Um, even though we can go out to pretty long terms for yeah. those larger purchases. I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Uh, do you guys report to the credit bureaus yet? We do on the larger purchases um, in the longer terms. There isn't a standard today um, for the really short-term uh, small purchases. So we are engaged with the credit bureaus to work out through a standard. Um, we think it's good for the industry and especially good for the consumers. So we're all in on making that happen. We're just working with the, the bureaus to figure out what the standard should be. Now, the credit card industry is, I mean, parts of it are probably a little sleazy and take advantage of people and they get interest rates bumped up when they miss one payment. You know, there's a lot of knocks. I'm sure you probably have a long list as well, but it's a, a massive industry. I mean, trillions of dollars that are getting, yep. you know, put on credit cards every year. And I think I think the outstanding credit card balance might, might have hit a, an all-time record recently. Yep. So how is buy now, pay later different from the credit card industry and, and how are you guys better or want to be better? Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the part I'll disagree with you uh, on that is that I think that it's actually the credit card industry is fundamentally flawed. Um, the consumers get charged when the unwanted or undesirable or unexpected happen. It, you know, they sell convenience and ubiquity and you know, they give you unexpected interest and debt. Um, the act of revolving where you, um, you're you late on a payment, or even if you know it's going to take you uh, multiple months to pay it back, really starts this revolving clock where anything else you put on the credit card, everything you buy until you've paid that entire credit card down is going to be accruing interest. You don't know how much interest in terms of dollars you're going to pay until you're, until you're at the end. We think that's like fundamentally backwards and broken. Um, our entire model is premised on, you know how much it's going to cost you all in ahead of time. There's no late fees at a firm. There's no you know, additional accrual besides what we quoted you at the very beginning, even if, you're, even if you drag it out longer. Um, you will never pay more uh, for that purchase than what uh, we quoted at the beginning. That is, I think, a differentiator for a firm uh, relative to credit cards, but also relative to its competitors. Um, at the end of the day, from our perspective, consumers need access to credit. There are things that make sense when you're buying them that, to have them sooner versus a year or two years from now, a couch, a suit, you know, whatever it may be. Um, it, as long as the customer knows exactly how much that is going to cost them extra to have it today versus later. Um, as you said, it's a massive industry. Clearly there's demand for credit. Um, some of that I think is unwanted credit, purchases that people are making that they'd prefer not to have on credit, but the, but the ubiquity and convenience of the product encourages them to be paying interest on things they really shouldn't or don't want to. Um, and you know that is what we're here to fix. Talk to us about your competitors. I mean, I, I know you guys are one of the biggest, and then there's Klarna and there's Afterpay. Afterpay was acquired by Square for mm -hmm. 30 billion, 35 billion. I forget the exact number. Do you how closely do you guys compete with them in the US? Because I think a firm is mostly just US, right? Yep. Primarily US, Canada today. Yep. 
Um, we, start, we certainly run into them at uh, different merchants. You know, Afterpay is heavily focused on the fast fashion vertical, uh, lots of small repeat purchases. Um, they only do very short-term, six-week, um, um, those small loans, um, and, and focus on turnover and repeat. Um, we do run into them in terms of, uh, you know, when we talk to merchants, um, but not as frequently. Um, Kwarna is another one um, really focused on trying to enter the U.S. market from their uh, foothold um, in, in Europe, um, you know, doing it with, uh, you know, some aggressive pricing at the merchant level, but um, near as we can tell, um, not quite as robust at underwriting and managing risk and losses. How do you guys make money? Two ways, um, interest the, from the consumer and merchant fees. That's okay. it. Which, which one is, which one do you make more money on? <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, I mean, it, at a merchant to merchant perspective uh, level, it varies quite a bit. Obviously we have merchants that have 0% programs, so there's no interest um, and it's all coming from the merchant gotcha. um, and then balance um, all the way to the opposite end of the spectrum. Blended, you know, it, it's not quite 50-50, but um, okay. it's, not, it's not far off. And the reason the merchants are willing to pay you a fee is because of those stats I just rattled off from RBC yeah. that you know increases frequency and ticket size, yeah. uh, and and we can create bespoke programs for them where they're able to subsidize more risk or larger cards or all kinds of levers that we provide to them, where their ability to contribute creates even more lift, and and that's very attractive for them. Talk to us about the partnerships because I do think last year. Uh, investors were pretty excited when you guys announced the deals with uh, Shopify and Amazon. And we're not going to go into exclusivity because it gets complicated. And uh, uh -huh. just talk to us about, you know, when did those discussions start and, you know, how long did they take and, you know, how big of a deal is this for a firm going forward? Uh you know, we have five of the 10 largest retailers. Um, you know, we're obviously very excited to work with, with, with those partners, Amazon and Shopify included. You know, those are, those are long conversations leading up to the launch of those programs and um, continue to be really um, robust engagements even after where we continue, especially at their scale, to optimize the programs, work with them. Um, to really make sure it's delivering um, as much as it can be. Um, and from our perspective, making sure that customers, their customers understand what's being offered um, and have as clear of a um, picture as possible. You know, we see it as uh, the early days of scaling those up. We continue to see gr uh, growth within those um, in terms of growth of a firm's penetration into their customer base that is greater than the rate at which they themselves are growing. And so we see that as really positive signs. Now, Amazon has, I mean, Shopify has hundreds of thousands, actually by now it's probably millions of stores or mm -hmm. merchants. I assume they opt in to using a firm, right? Yes, yes. Okay. And what happens if, you know, say I go to, I'm trying to think, uh, no, I mean, it's crazy how many Shopify websites I oh, yeah. use. I mean, like uh, Noble, you know, where I buy a lot of uh, my gym sneakers, you know, you go to the website and you right click and you go through some of the, the code or whatever it is, and you can see how many are, are Shopify stores and it's wild. Yeah. Uh, but what happens if I spend, you know, $500 on the Noble website? And I don't even know if buy now, pay later is an option. I haven't checked, but, you know, let's say I, I stop making payments, you know, I, or, you know, the, 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 my car gets declined or whatever. 
How do you guys take all of that credit risk yourselves off your own balance sheet? Um, so the capital program is pretty robust. Some of it's on balance sheet, some of it is off balance sheet. Um, but we do manage the risk and take the risk um, primarily ourselves. Um, it is it, it basically is the you know the crux of our underwriting. Um, how much are you know what are our delinquency curves look like? What our charge off rates look like? Um, how is that balance across balance sheet, off balance sheet, um, all of that? Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a pretty uh, robust program. How do it? I don't know if you're able to get into you know how granular this might be, but how do delinquencies look now versus six months ago, twelve months ago? And do you think they're going to get better or worse if we go into a mild recession? Um, so from that's an interesting question. From our perspective, uh, delinquencies are something we set targets for and control to versus have happened to us. Um, so today, our delinquencies are actually stronger than our 2019 pre-pandemic delinquencies were. Um, that was a conscious choice in terms of preparation for um, challenge, the potential for challenging times. Um, so while we um, see stress on the consumer. Um, we manage the program in terms of how much, uh, how, how much we will extend over what periods of times to whom to manage to a specific outcome. Um, and so we're really focused on managing to the outcome versus, you know, allowing it to happen to us. Um, for, as I'm saying, as I was saying, we're performing better than we were in 2019 right now on delinquencies. That has a lot to do with our anticipation the, that there's potential for more stress in our future um, in 23, especially as you know, Fed continues to uh, raise rates, um, obviously trying to cool down the employment market, which obviously directly impacts people's ability to repay. But that's something um, we are anticipating and, and feel uh, that we're pretty strongly prepared for. Have you noticed customers using buy now, pay later for smaller purchases? Um, we certainly see customers um, using buy now, pay later more frequently um, to you know, increase purchasing power as inflation has hit, um, as fuel prices and, and food prices have gone up um, when, when they're thinking about con uh, considered purchases. Um, larger purchases, whether those larger purchases are huge grocery, you know, all at once or other uh, items, um, that's when they're choosing buy now, pay later to stretch their dollars further. So I think the most exciting thing that you guys are working on right now that I definitely want to talk about is the debit plus card. Mm -hmm. uh, so talk to us about what that program is going to be or what that product is going to be and, and how you expect customers to be using it. The idea is really to take the what we kind of described in um, the product we provide at checkout with all of these merchants and provide it in the form of a card where um, you have the ability to decide whether the purchase you're going to make on this card is going to be a BNPL transaction, something you're going to pay over time and with an understanding of how much that's going to cost before you make the swipe or whether you want the swipe to go directly through to your bank account and settle like if it were a normal debit card. And so it gives you really this um, app controlled experience where you decide um, the configuration of the card um, for every single swipe um, with obviously intelligent defaults. So how, how, how would it work? Like, let's say I go to the grocery store yeah. and I, you know, rack up $150 of groceries. Mm -hmm. Do I... Do I get a pop-up on the screen? Do I get a pop-up on my phone? Or do I do it you, when I leave the store? 
If you do, if you just run it without using the phone, it'll depend on what your defaults are set to. Okay. Um, you can decide ahead of time if it's like, oh, this is going to be a really, you know, this is going to be a bigger purchase. I want to know what it would cost me to split it over time, say over three months or six weeks or six months. Um, you you know you pop you pop that into the the app. Um, it'll tell you. You decide if that's what you want to happen or if you want it to go straight through to your bank account. So you really get it. Really gives customers that control that they're craving around being able to decide on a per purchase basis. What do I really want to happen um, in terms of what am I paying for? Now I believe you guys are still kind of beta testing the debit plus card mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. firm employees. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's more than a firm employees. I think at this point we have about 50,000 people enrolled oh, wow. um, in the beta. Um, the, but we are still testing it um, and really primarily the app and um, how to make what I just described um, as uh, intuitive and unobtrusive as possible uh, for customers to use on a day-to-day -day basis. When would you expect a, a full rollout I'm not ready to announce. <laughs> you think in you think in 2023? I'm not ready to announce a rollout. <laughs> the fine marketing team will will figure that out. How big of a product do you think that's going to be for a firm? I mean, is that a, I, a, I a needle a, mover? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. I certainly that's the intent behind it. Today we have more than 14 million active uh, annual users. At a firm, uh, we think the product is uh, applicable to a pretty a pretty wide swath of them. Because right now, you don't. How would someone do a you know POS a, a point of sale purchase? Right. I mean, they walk into a Walmart store. It's hard to do buy now, pay later at checkout, right? We so Walmart, we have actually a custom in-store integration where you, we you do go into the app and you type in exactly how much you, you're looking to spend. You get to the terms ahead of time, so again, you know upfront what it's going to cost you. You select it; it actually produces um, a, a gift card, a gift card code, um, a, a scannable code that you can then scan at the checkout. So that works today. Um, for other people, we have it as a um, as a one-time credit card number that you can get, either card not present or put it into your wallet. Okay. Um, that works in store. But we do think that the, the physical card is going to be uh, much more robust for in store. Okay. Uh, before we wrap up here, anything that we skipped over that you want to uh, make sure you get a chance to talk about? No, I think we I think we covered a lot of ground. Um, you know, I I think the most important sort of aspect from my perspective is the differentiation, both with the credit card companies in terms of closed end, you know, a firm providing closed end credit where you know how much it's going to cost you upfront versus revolving debt. That you know, ultimately, once you get into it, um, it's it's common to struggle to get out of it. Six thousand uh, dollars on average per uh, American uh, consumer. Um, and I also think it's important uh, thing to mention uh, the differentiation with the other BNPL providers, both in terms of our ability to underwrite more users, larger purchases, longer repayment, as well as the uh, practice of aligning the interest of the uh, company with the interest of the consumer. So no late fees, no gimmicks, uh, only exactly what we say uh, when you're making the purchase is what you're going to be charged no matter what happens. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Wish you guys the best of luck and, and happy holidays to you and your team. Thank you, Jonas. Same to you. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Good night. Please subscribe to Jonah Lupton's different investment services. The first one is Substack. The URL is substack.luptoncapital.com. 
The second one is StockTwits. The URL is StockTwits.LuptonCapital.com. And the third one is for Seeking Alpha. The URL is SeekingAlpha.LuptonCapital.com. And you can see all of those links if you just go to the Lupton Capital website at LuptonCapital.com.